Do you have enemies? Do you have people who would love to see your life cursed? Maybe they would even go as far as to appoint a diviner to curse your life with witchcraft. Sounds pretty scary. And Israel had this problem when they were in the wilderness. There was a man called Balak who appointed Balaam. He wanted Israel cursed. But this story is so profound and unique because Israel is not really a big part of this story. In the scriptures, this story is actually about Israel's enemies. God is giving us a deeper look behind the scenes about what goes on in the hearts and minds of our enemies and how God deals with our enemies. You see, we in our lives as believers trying to follow Yeshua, we will be persecuted. We will make many enemies. We will make people along the way who desires us cursed. Maybe even who would desire to put witchcraft on us. But what God does is amazing. And all the ideas of curses that these men, these enemies of Israel have, God turns around, flips on its head, and it becomes some of the greatest blessings ever spoken over Israel. You see, if you've ever read this story of Balak and Balaam before, you may get a little bit confused because it seems to be kind of weird about how things go. I mean, Balaam, this this man who is a sort of a prophet of sorts, actually seems like a really stand up guy when you read it the first time. He continuously talks about how he can't do anything outside of the boundaries that God has set for him. He cannot speak anything. God has not. God does not speak. He cannot. He seems to be a good prophet, obedient to God. But yet, why is it that his end leads to death? Why is it that his path is not blessed by the Lord? You see, brothers and sisters, this story has a multitude of lessons, not just regarding the path of our enemies and how God deals with them, but also the enemy, the problems that we can fall into regarding God's will, our will and walking that line. You see, the story begins with Balak, the king of Moab. And him desiring to curse Israel. And we read this in Numbers 22, verse 6. Come now, curse this people for me, he says, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. 
Now, the first hint that we should be getting that this prophet called Balaam is not the best kind of true prophet around is the fact that he is even entertaining a divination fee. In other words, they're coming to pay him to curse someone. However, he seems enticed by this fee and he tells him, I'm going to go and check up Osgod what he thinks about this whole thing. Unsurprisingly, God is not entertained. And he says the following. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go to your own land for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. There's something you need to understand about Balaam as we read this story and as you read this text. Otherwise, Balaam himself may even deceive you, the reader, to think that he is a pretty good guy and he's got good intentions here. But if you really read between the lines, you'll start noticing that he is very good at pretension, at pretending, at trying to put on a good show and a good face to entertain everyone to get his own way. And so what he is doing here is he's, he's coming to um, Balak's men and he's saying, look, I cannot come with you because God said I can't. But that's not the full story. You see, God didn't just tell him you can't go with the men. He said, Israel is blessed. They will not be cursed. But Balaam conveniently leaves this part of it out. But why? You see, he in his heart and his mind has this plan. He's thinking, you know, this divination fee is what's on the line and on the table. I don't really like Israel that much anyway, because, well, he is not a part of Israel. He is an enemy of Israel. And so maybe there is a way that I can still make this work down the line for me to be able to go with these men to curse Israel. And so in order in, in hoping to unite the parties, that is to unite God with Balak's men, he just says, I can't go. But he doesn't say, God told me they're blessed and I ought not to curse. Because if he said that, Balak's men may just lose interest completely. And so he leaves that part of it out. And he also has this hope that God is going to change his mind about what he said. You see, Balaam thinks that, yes, God thinks is telling me today I can't go. But maybe tomorrow God will think differently about things. But God's answer was simple and direct. That's usually how he speaks to us. But yet soon, Balak's men come back, just like Balaam hoped. And they come and they ask him again. They send more honorable men to come and deliver this message than than before. And and they even said, let there be nothing that hinders you from coming. We will give you anything you want, any riches, no matter what. And Balaam, he's very kind and upright because he replies and he says the following. Numbers 22, verse 18. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord, my God, to do less or more 
So you too, please stay here tonight, that I might know what more the Lord will say to me. It seems that Balaam is being very upright here, saying I don't can't go further, do more or less than what God has allowed me, permitted me to say or do. So, you know, but then he says, but wait, stay for the night and let me go ask God again. It's almost like he's thinking, hey, this is my opportunity. Maybe this time God will be different. Maybe this time God will give me a different answer because I'm asking him a second time. You see, Balaam's perception of God is that God changes his mind. But God has already told him Israel will not be cursed. You cannot go. I will only bless Israel. But yet in Balaam's heart. He has his own will and desire that's different from God's and he really hopes that God would allow him to go. But God then continues to test Balaam's heart further. And at that in that meeting that night, God comes to Balaam and he tells him the following. He says, Numbers 22 verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them. But only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. This doesn't make any sense. It seems that God tells him, hey, you know, if these men are calling you, then go with them. And then, you know, Balaam, he goes in the morning and then God is angry about it. But why is God angry at Balaam for doing what God told him to do? Well, you see, if you just read through the scripture quickly without really reading carefully, you may think that. But there's something else that God is actually saying. God is saying an if statement. You see, the first time God just told him flat out, no, you can't go because Israel's blessed. You will not curse them. The second time he comes and asks God, God doesn't say just you can't go. He says, if the men call you in the morning, then you can go with them. But see, God provides this if statement, this if this happens, then you can go because he wants to see if Balaam will be as careful to obey God as he said he would be. Because remember what Balaam said, I won't do anything more or anything less than what the Lord said. That's what he just said earlier. And God is now testing. Oh, well, are you sure about that? Is that really your heart, Balaam? And now God gives him this opportunity for his heart to be proven, for him to prove what he just said. And Balaam fails because these men never came. You see, if Balaam was to not go because these men didn't call him, he would prove his heart to be holy and good. But if Balaam goes, even though the men never calls him, he proves his heart to be perverse. And that was what kindles God, kindled God's anger because he went, even though the men didn't call him as Balaam is now showing his heart that he wants to just go forth for this fee and to curse Israel. As an enemy of Israel, as an enemy of God, God could have just gone at this point and just gotten rid of Balaam, stopped him right in his tracks, forbidding him from going forward. God has patience. He doesn't just judge immediately, even on his own enemies, even on the enemies of Israel. 
Instead, what God does is he sends an angel. You see, as Balaam is on his donkey, riding his donkey on the way to Balak to curse Israel, to talk. This donkey goes on the road and an angel stands before it and the donkey veers off the road. Next, the donkey goes through a vineyard. An angel stands there, blocks the way. The donkey is afraid and, and goes off track. And, and Balaam gets really angry at his donkey, hitting his donkey. And the next time the donkey goes between two walls and the donkey just sees the angel and just falls from out under Balaam. And Balaam gets so angry at his donkey for doing this to him. And then we read what happens in Numbers 22, 32. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. This word that God is using here for perverse is actually the Hebrew word "yirat," And it means to hurl or rush headlong or to be rash. What God is really telling Balaam is that you are being rash. You're being perverse in your thinking. You are running headlong into this thing without even thinking about what you're doing. And because of it, you don't even see that I am busy putting roadblocks in front of you. You see, when he was on his donkey, his donkey was going off track, doing all these things, falling out from under him. And he was hitting his donkey thinking it's his donkey. Not connecting that maybe this is God putting a roadblock in front of me, stopping me because I disobeyed him. I did not go in the when he told me to go. I went on my own accord. I'm on the way to somewhere without God's approval. You see, and this is simply the same as how Yeshua was standing before Pilate and and Yeshua told him, You have no authority over me except that which has been given to you from above. When Pilate told Yeshua, I have the power to kill you or make you live today. In our lives, what we must understand is that God's authority is so great and and pervasive in our lives that no matter where we go, what's going on, if there is a roadblock, if there is a closed door, If our donkey is throwing us off, don't just blame the donkey. Don't just blame the employer. Don't just blame the friend or family member or circumstance itself. Think about whether it's God who is delaying you or even putting a roadblock and a closed door in front of you because you're going somewhere where you're not supposed to go. And you can say, oh, God was just out to get Balaam. I want to submit to you. God had mercy on Balaam. Even at this point, God loved Balaam. God loved loves us. And so he will come and close doors for us if we're going somewhere either in rebellion like Balaam did or out of ignorance. Not knowing that we're going in a place where God doesn't actually want us to go. Sometimes God needs to save us from ourselves. 
And I don't know about you, but this to me is comforting because it means that even if I'm on the wrong path, going the wrong way, and I may not have known that I am on the wrong way, God is teaching us that he will alert us to it. He will let circumstance direct our paths the way he wants us to be directed. And if our heart and you know, what's really interesting is with Balaam. He was on this path, but he was actually going to be accomplishing God's will very soon, even in going there. But what God was concerned about and the reason that God stopped him was to alert Balaam of his very own heart that was in the wrong place. Because see, Balaam, his heart was for himself. His heart was on. He was looking towards those divination fees. He was looking towards that that opportunity to be able to curse Israel. God was about is about to take control of the situation, this evil intent and use it out for his own purposes. And we read this in Numbers 22, 34. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it's evil in your sight, I will turn back. Balaam is acting stranger because, yes, he is admitting, oh, I have sinned. And and that's pretty good. But that shows that he knew that he was in sin. He knew he was doing something wrong. He knows that his heart's intent is wicked, but yet when he is caught by God, he does not repent of his intents. He does not. He, he acts like he was ignorant. He acts like, oh, I didn't even know. Oh, sorry about that. Let me let me turn back. You see, wicked and ungodly men will not admit when they had an evil intent. Well, godly men who are righteous will admit when they have an evil intent and they will repent for that evil intent. Because see, God wasn't looking for Balaam to just say he's sorry and and repent for the fact that he was caught. He wanted Balaam to repent for his evil intents that he's always had from the beginning. But even at this point, Balaam is acting like he was just ignorant. Oh, he didn't even know, even though he clearly knew. You see, brothers and sisters, this danger, this this personality type that is a pretentious personality is a personality that God is not fooled by. You see, we as people, we need to be so careful. I have met and seen people, both believers and people who aren't believers, who have this kind of thing about them where they go ahead and they have evil, wicked intents in their hearts. But when they're caught, they act like they never even knew about what they were really doing. And that is an abomination to God. It doesn't fool God. And the crazy thing is that these people think that they can fool people around them by acting like they didn't really know so that they can look all clean, so they can look innocent. 
but they forget that God sees all things and that nothing can be hidden from him. You see, Balaam, for some reason, didn't go as far as to think that, well, maybe God actually knows my heart better than I even do. And maybe God sees my wicked plans. You see, brothers and sisters, my fear of God is so great that I will never be able to get to this place of like, I'm going to try and hide my evil intents from God because I know that he sees it all. And we have to be so careful because if we are ignorant, if we, we don't understand that God sees it all, we will be exposed by him. These people who do these things like Balaam do, they all become exposed by their evil intents and their attempts to hide their evil intents are futile. It works for a little time until the time runs out and they're exposed. And these people are oftentimes like Balaam because Balaam on the surface looks like he has good conduct. He 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 carries himself as a righteous, good person, a perfect person. And, and you will see these people in life as being ones who all look upon and they look like they are a model Christian who goes to church every Sunday and prays the most beautiful prayers of anyone else. Because sometimes that's the cloak they wear to mask their evil intents so that when so that no one would ever even consider that they have those intents. And so if our enemies are like this, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God will expose all their sins and we don't have to worry about them getting away with it because no one will. Numbers 22, 35, and the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. This was the moment that God shifted and allowing Balaam to actually go forward, giving him full permission. This is the first time it actually happens because Balaam exposed his evil intents to God. And now, as I mentioned earlier, God is giving him over to his evil heart's intent. It's very much like how when Yeshua told Judas, who was about to betray him, go and do what you came to do, do it. Same way, God is now telling Balaam, go do what you want to do. Go do what you need to do. You see, sometimes God's way is not enough for us. Sometimes we would go to God and ask him like Balaam, Lord, what do you want us to do? And then when God tells us we don't like his answer, we doubt it. Or we just don't want to go ahead with that because it's at odds with our interests. And then we start making up excuses and then we start trying to figure out how we can go anyway, even if God told us we can't go ahead with whatever we came to him with. You see, I think of this oftentimes in the lives of people, you know, we face people who oftentimes have God's commandments that they're faced with, right? They they see, oh, God has asked me to keep the fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath day holy. 
Okay, it's like when God came to Balaam and said, you will not curse them, you will, Israel will be blessed. God comes and he comes to his people and he says, you will rest on the seventh day. That's it. That's the end of the story. Simple, direct, and there's no negotiating about that. But yet then people, when they hear this, they don't like what they hear, like Balaam didn't like what he heard. And they go ahead and they try and figure out loopholes. They try and, 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 and nudge their way through. And then when the donkey starts throwing them off, they don't understand why God's blessing isn't on their journey. But the reality is, as God already told them what he wants them to do on the seventh day. He already told them that he wants them to rest from their labors and so forth. But yet we try and push anyway. We try and use God's words and manipulate his words and thoughts into something that we can then put on and say to everyone, look, God, I actually changed his mind. Oh, I, I've asked God enough. Maybe his answer, you know, maybe next time his answer will be different if I ask him another time. You know, or or what about people, men or women who you fall in love with someone, a lady or a man, and, and you really want this relationship to work because they're really cute. But they're not a believer. And somehow now you, even though you know what his word said, you know, maybe I can just go to God and maybe if I ask him enough, he'll change his mind. Or maybe if maybe there's maybe this this one, this one man, this woman is different because, you know, this case is separate. God will look upon this differently. So let's just go ahead anyway. And, and I'm going to make up this and this and this excuse for why I'm going to stick around trying to make this relationship work so I can marry them later. Whatever it is in our lives, brothers and sisters, we can easily try and think we can manipulate God into our will. Manipulate his word. But at the end of the day, it's not about manipulating God. It's about changing your life into his will. It's about making sacrifices, however needed for his will to be done in your life. You see, at the end of the day, it could be that we are rebellious in our desire to go ahead with our own will. Or you could tell me that, well, it's not always that I'm rebellious. Sometimes I just don't know if I'm hearing God correctly. And that's very fair. But I want to remind you about how God is. See, God comes and just like he put a donkey on Balaam's path and had that mercy to show Balaam, even though Balaam's motive was actually evil, not not ignorant, not yeah, I didn't know, not, oh, I didn't hear God correctly. God even had mercy on him. How much more will God have mercy on us if we mishear what he is saying to us? If we go somewhere, but we don't understand that this is not really where he wants us to go. You don't think that God's going to do even more than send a donkey on our path to block us. God will do whatever it takes to communicate his will to us if we need an adjustment in our path. You see, brothers and sisters, but what is important is that we do submit to his will. That we go and we take our worries, our fears, and we put it before him. 
We sacrifice it to him. We say, Lord, I don't know what to do. You must guide me. Otherwise, I will be deceived. And then what we do, number two, is we pray and we fast about our decision. If this is something we really need an answer on. And then we go and we just go ahead and desire his will above all. And in that, make a decision. You see, if you desire his will above all else, his will will be done in your life. Because your father is not the type who, if you ask for one thing, gives you a snake. Think about Eliezer, who was standing at the well about to pick a bride for his master, Isaac. And Eliezer tells God, Lord, give me a sign. If she waters the camels, she's the one. And just as he finish, finishes praying that Rebecca comes forward and does the very thing he asked to be the sign. And Eliezer in that moment had to go and believe, trust and make the step of of picking her. You see, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, we must not only pray for the Lord to lead us, but trust him in leading us when he is leading us, because you can go and, and doubt and doubt and doubt and never take a step doubt. Where, and it really comes down to this deep rooted doubt on whether God actually cares for us to be led by him and whether God would actually even fix our path if we are being misled. We must Trust him, because if trust is not at the root of all of this in our heart, we will not be led by him because we will trust ourselves instead. If you don't trust him, you're going to trust your own devices exclusively. But if you trust him and you trust that he will lead you in your decision making, in your walk, it may not be a voice from heaven that has rarely happened to me. But I do see his hand. I do see him open doors and I do trust he will close those he doesn't want me to go through. Continuing in the story, we now see Balaam going forth to Balak and they start making offerings in hopes that they can appeal to God to come and allow them to curse Israel. And we see the following in Numbers 23, verse 1. Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. Balaam and Balak are making these offerings because they are hoping that they could change God's mind to allow Balaam to curse Israel. And But see, our good deeds or sacrifices to God when we do things for him and give things up for him and 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 whatever that we don't do that to bend his arm for him to do our will and our bidding. He is not like the pagan gods. He is Yahweh. He has a will. He has a say. It's simple and direct. Israel will be blessed. I will never curse them or allow you to curse them. You see, God's mood does not shift with the wind like the other gods or other people do because people model their gods after themselves. No, God is God. 
As Balaam then goes ahead and just blesses, he starts blessing Israel. God takes over his mouth and instead of cursings coming out, just blessing flows from Balaam's mouth. And as Balaam hears this, he is destroyed and he's like, oh no, why are you blessing them? You're supposed to curse them and what's going on? And he says, don't bless them, don't curse them, don't say anything. Just keep quiet, Balaam, stop it. And then... We start seeing now all these things unfold into the consequences for Balaam and Balak. You see, Balak had this desire to curse Israel because he was afraid of them. The irony is, is that his fear of Israel was going to become a reality because Israel would have probably just passed through the land. They probably wouldn't have even touched Balak or anyone or, you know, attacked or anything like that. But Balak was so afraid of Israel that he started bringing, desiring to curse them, started making evil schemes and plans. And this was the very cause of the curses that would actually befall Balak himself. All the curses he meant for Israel would now befall him. See, that's what God does to our enemies. When they desire to curse us, when they desire to bring evil upon us, all their curses just fall upon themselves. They fall into their own ditches. You see, if Balak just didn't allow himself to be ruled by his fear, maybe things would have turned out differently for him. It's kind of like when you drive a bike. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You're driving a bike and you see a big rock on the road and you know that rock i need to avoid that rock but you know if you keep looking at the rock you head right into it but if you just kind of look away you just kind of look ahead of you you'll be able to maneuver around it you see so it is with our relationship with god if we look to the lord we will be able to get away from our fears and avoid them they won't be an issue for us but if you look at your fears, you're focusing on the fears, the rock on your path. You will you may just head right into them because you're not going to be ruled by your fears. You're going to be making decisions based off your fears, not based off God's counsel. And your fears will become the reality, even though they would have never even become anything before. You see, brothers and sisters, if a spirit of fear rules you in your decision making, your fears become the reality. And then you, you point back and you say, you see, it was the fear that I had was real. Well, yes, they're real now because you made them real. Because you didn't allow God to have dominion over them. This was Balak's issue. Think about Peter, how he walked on water and how when he took the step focusing on Yeshua, he was able to be walking. But the moment he looked onto his fear, he looked upon the water. That was the moment he started sinking. And in terms of the consequences for Balaam, Balaam not only loses his divination fee, he doesn't get the money. He also now ends up blessing Israel instead of cursing them. Not only that, he and the blessings that he speaks over Israel among them, he says that no divination will come upon Israel. Numbers 23, 23. The irony, 
that he is prophesying the opposite of what he was even there to do in his evil heart's intent. But now think about this all from Israel's perspective. Because so often I have heard people say they are afraid of witchcraft. They're afraid of what the curses are going to be that these other people can bring upon them. You know, I've heard this often. I've heard people even say, don't go into that area or pray for these people because they're witches and they're going to put curses on you. That's oftentimes the perspective of believers. But was Israel supposed to be afraid? Clearly not. If we look at how God dealt with these diviners, these people who try to curse Israel. He put their own curses upon themselves. But see, then I have heard these stories about believers who are afraid of the 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 curses and the stuff and then things are going wrong in their life. And and I'm not surprised because see, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, you need to understand that the spiritual realm is a place all about authority. If you understand the authority that you have been given by Yeshua when he died on the cross and gave you his Holy Spirit, you will not be afraid of anything else because you understand that greater is he who's in you than he who's in, who's in the world. And you will understand that they have no authority over you if you understand the authority that's within you. But if you don't understand the authority that's within you, even if you're a believer, you're like a king walking through the streets who doesn't know who he is and who will just be taken advantage of. I have a friend who is a policeman and he told me this story once. He said that he when he when he's uh, training new recruits to be policemen and they're ever encountering crime and criminals, the criminals are really quick to notice when there is a new policeman because this new policeman is not familiar with his own authority yet. He doesn't take his authority upon himself fully. And then the criminals, they try and take advantage. So it is in the spiritual realm, the demons around us. If you fear them, you don't understand your authority. They know they see and they'll try and take advantage. And then you'll say, see, I don't have any power. The reality is and the truth is you do have power because Yeshua gave that to you. You do have authority. But the problem was that you never knew it, believed it, nor exercised it. So don't come and say, I'm afraid of being cursed. If you say that, it only tells me that you don't know who you are. You don't know. The blessed authority that God has given you over all schemes of the enemy, over the demonic to cause out demons. Why would you be afraid of demons if Yeshua told you to cause them out, to give you authority over them in that way? Shouldn't it be that they should be afraid of you instead? Brothers and sisters, I desire to see a bride and believers who will understand what they have. Numbers 31 later, Balaam would die for what he did. You see, brothers and sisters, I want you to ask yourself the question, what was Balaam's biggest sins? You see, he had the sin of pretentiousness. He continuously lied about his motives. He always said, I only want to do what God wants me to do. But his actions proved otherwise. 
Furthermore, he tried to fool Balak. He said, I will come, even though he knew he couldn't do what Balak asked him to do, to curse Israel, when God said he's not allowed to do that. He even tried to fool God by trying to manipulate God, by hoping God is going to just change his mind somewhere along the way. And he acted ignorant when he was found out of his sin, instead of admitting of his intent and repenting thereof. You see, brothers and sisters, ultimately all he did was be he did all this pretentiousness for the sake of his own gain. Greed was the motivator for being pretentious. And greed is typically the motivator for pretentiousness among most people who are pretentious. And greed is not just financial. Greed wasn't isn't just I want to get money out of it. Greed can be I want my will instead of God's will to be done. You see, Yeshua said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Do we say that and do we actually mean that with all our hearts, everywhere we go all the time? Or do we try to manipulate God into ours? I hope that this has blessed you. I hope that this opens your eyes to this sin of pretentiousness, opens your eyes to the authority you have in Christ and opens your eyes to the fact that God protects his people and vengeance is his. Father, I thank you for your blessings upon your people that you protect us even when we don't even know and see how you are like you protected Israel, even though they didn't even need to be involved. You were involved. You protected them from the witchcraft, the divination, even without them knowing. Lord, I thank you, God, that you have given us authority. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us great desire for your will. I pray you would give us the strength to trust your will when we're not sure about where we're going, that you will put a donkey on our path to stop us if it's needed to. Lord, help us to identify when you are working through something in our life and circumstance to direct our path. Lord, we thank you for helping us and being there for us. Help us to walk as you walk. Help us to think like you think and speak what you speak and mean it and do it, not just say it. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. May the Father bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he lift up his counts upon you. Give you shalom, blessings. I'll see you guys in the next video.